a great song to sing during this time of Lent when we're thinking about the cross and just everything that Jesus has done for us and as we're building up to that time. Um, let's just take a moment to pray. We're going to read a call to worship before we go into our next song. God, I just thank you so much for the cross. I thank you for the price that you paid for each and every person in this room. God, that you care about each of us. You know us by name. The, you said in your word that you even know the number of hairs on our head, which we know is always changing every second. We're finding them everywhere. So God, we just choose this morning to take a moment to, to trust you, to believe you, that you see us right where we are, each individual person, that you care about us, that when you came on the cross, it wasn't just for the world, but it was for us, for each individual person, that you're personal and you care about us, so we take this moment in light of everything that you've done and given us, this small offering of praise to you, God, to just forget about everything else that's vying for our attention, everything that is vying for our admiration, and choose to focus just on you, God, in this moment, just you. You alone are worthy. You are the only one who can satisfy the desires of our hearts. Amen. this um, it's just a prayer of approach for the season of Lent it says as I enter prayer now I pause to be still to breathe slowly to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of God Jesus you are the way the truth and the life through this season of Lent as I reflect on your holy passion May my love be rekindled, that I may live sacrificially and wholly for you. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated, but don't lose that posture of worship and of complete reverence before God. I just invite you to close your eyes just simply to remove distractions and just spend a few moments talking to Jesus, your King. And I also want to encourage us to spend a few moments listening. We don't spend enough time listening. Would you just listen to whatever it is that he wants to say to you this morning? Lord Jesus, as we just continue to open ourselves up to you this morning, I pray that you would continue to speak to us. Lord, would you have your way in us this morning? We don't rush past this moment. We don't move on to the next item on the agenda in a hurry. But Lord, we pause and we open ourselves up to you. This, this space is not about us. But we are here for you. God, we are here to glorify you. We are not here to fulfill an obligation or a duty or to check something off the list, but God, may we truly be here because of our love for you, because of our awareness of our need, our great need for you. And we are here as a reminder, as we look around this room, as we see familiar faces and engage with one another, we are reminded that we are a community. That together, we are your called, set-apart people who take our cues from King Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being present in this place and for helping us to, to see you, to hear from you. Lord, we pray this morning that you would draw near to those whose hearts are, are hurting, whose hearts are heavy, whose hearts are broken, whose hearts are aware of just how broken they are. Jesus, we pray that you would draw near to those who are filled with shame. Even though the song says that, that shame is not welcome here, we find a way to sneak it in. We find a way to tuck it 
safely inside in our pockets and we find a way to remind ourselves. But God, may your voice be greater. May your love and grace be greater. And God, may you draw near to us this morning. We are hungry for you. We are desperate for you. We are aware of the ways in which we need you to move. We are aware of the miracles we need you to perform. We see things in our lives that are, that are seemingly dead and broken, unredeemable, hopeless. And when all is stripped away, when we feel like we don't have anything left, that's when we are reminded of our profound need for you, for you to be the one who fills us, who completes us, who makes us whole. So Lord, would you just speak to us today? Would you encourage us? Would you draw near to the brokenhearted? Would you help those who are carrying shame? Would you help them to, to know just how loved they are by you? Help us, God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. That is who we are. And may we reject any lie that tempts us to believe something different. God, as we open up the word in a moment, I ask, Lord, that you would anoint this word. Holy Spirit, would you prepare our hearts to receive this word and to receive a word from you, the one that each of us needs to hear? Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you this morning and speak to us. Change us, correct us, mold us, and make us. Lord, we love you, and we praise your name this morning that is so incredibly worthy. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, if you are reading from your Bibles this morning or from your Bible app, you can go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 as we continue this series, this Lenten series that's um, taking us through the Sermon on the Mount. Today is the fifth Sunday of Lent, which means next week is the last Sunday of Lent, which means that the next Sunday is Easter. Uh, so today we're actually going to be wrapping up this particular uh, series in terms of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you'll notice that last week we were in Matthew 5, because some of you were like, wait a minute, what happened? Because <laughs> last week we were in Matthew 5, we finished Matthew 5, um, but for those of you who were here and who remember or who watched online, we actually looked at a big portion of Matthew chapter 6 on Ash Wednesday. Uh, we, we looked at several parts of Matthew 6, and so that then is going to take us to Matthew chapter 7. If you missed that, that's online, you can go back and watch it if you're curious um, about those words. But today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to invite you to stand with us. 
as we read starting in verse 1 to verse 5. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Friends, this is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I want to start off this morning with this question that I want you to consider. Why is it so easy to look at someone else, to look at those around you, and notice their faults and flaws? Meanwhile, it is so incredibly challenging to see the same in ourselves. You ever really thought about how easy that is? I'll admit, it's easy, right? It is easy, and I hope I'm not alone in that. It's easy to look at other people and just think, oh, oh, it's just so disappointing, right? And meanwhile, we, we fail to do that same service to ourselves. We, we fail to look at our own selves critically, harshly, I really wrestle with this, and I think that this is probably, we could chalk this up to Christian human nature. I think that it's human nature to just be critical of others, more critical of others than ourselves, and that's probably, you know, speaking generally, most people, not everyone, there are those who are just really hard on themselves and themselves alone. But I would also say that I think this is our Christian human nature, that it's really easy to look at others with a critical eye and judge what we see and what we don't see. It's so easy to to even have good intentions. Sometimes we may even have honest and good intentions and we just think, oh, if they would just do this, then their life would be so much better, right? Oh, if they just didn't do that, if they just would get rid of that bad habit, their life would be so, they don't even know. They just don't even know. They are missing out on this amazing, fulfilling life. If they would just get rid of that pesky sin, that I see that keeps coming back. It is so easy to do that. And yet, here we are with our own sin, with our own shortcomings, and we are in complete and utter denial, for the most part, complete and utter denial. It would seem that this is not a new problem or a problem that's just unique to us here today. It would seem that Jesus knew that this was a significant problem in the lives of those who were sitting among him on the side of the mountain. And it would seem that Jesus recognizes that they are harsh and critical on one another, and yet they don't do the same for themselves. And what Jesus says, what we just read in this passage, this honestly goes against our human tendencies. Right? We have to be really intentional to actually do what it is that Jesus has just said. And so before we even get into it, how do we receive these words? What do these words mean for us? Maybe you're thinking, okay, but, but what am I to take away from this? Does this mean that there's no standards? Does this mean that I should just keep my mouth closed and never 
acknowledge the sin in someone else's life even if I, I see it? Does this mean that there are, are no standards and that everything goes, that everything's permissible? But I wonder if, like most things, we're looking at this all the wrong way. We're asking the wrong questions, and we're totally missing the simple message that Jesus has for us. Maybe this morning as we think about this, Jesus' call for us is to simply measure others by the measure we want to be judged. And maybe this is neither. This can be neither. This can be neither a call to be harsher or more critical on those that we just want to see do better, or this is also not a call to just throw up our hands and say, all right, I guess anything goes, because I can't point it out anyways. Perhaps what this is, is a call to look at first ourselves and then others through a lens of grace, which means coming alongside Standing beside one another and not judging from above, taking the posture of God, which we are so tempted to do. We don't call it that. We don't say that we're taking the posture of God, but it is what we are tempted to do when we are critical and judging others. As we've carefully done each week, and I try to do this always, I try to always do this when I'm preaching, but I've tried to be especially intentional each week as we go through these problematic, pesky text on the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's important that we especially take time to consider the context and to exercise proper exegesis. And in doing that this morning, we need to understand what Jesus means by this word, judgment. The Greek word is the word krino, and this word can mean a few different things depending on the context. It can mean to discern, to judge between what is right and what is wrong, It has uh, legal implications. It can be a legal term, you know, judge, court kind of a thing. Or it can mean final judgment by God. And because I think the whole Sermon on the Mount and really anything and everything Jesus ever says is, is teaching about discerning what is right and wrong, Right? Are you with me? We can, we can say that everything Jesus says in, the, in those words, we are being taught how to discern what is right and wrong. And so I don't think that's what it is in particular here. And because there is nothing legal happening in this moment, there, there's nothing legal happening in this context, I think it's appropriate for us to determine that what Jesus says is do not assume the position of God and declare final judgment over another person. What Jesus likely has in mind here is is us assuming the posture of God and condemning others. And friends, I'm here to tell you, none of us, none of us has the right to do this. None of us can take the posture of God and condemn another person. But oh, it's so easy Oh, it's so easy to read through scripture and and to see clearly the text on the page that says we ought to live this way and we ought to do this thing and, and not do that thing. And it's so easy to compare that to another person and say, oh, it just doesn't add up. But I'm doing pretty good. It's so easy to do that. It's easy to be in a position of authority like a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a life group leader It's so easy to be in those positions, and and it's even easier to look out at others. Look as you're standing above others. 
and think, oh, if they would just get their act together, then we'd all be better off. It's so easy to do that, that I have to tell you, as I was preparing the sermon this week, I decided that I can't preach this sermon standing above you all. And don't worry, I didn't throw the camera guys off. They knew this was coming. Don't freak out. I prepared them ahead of time. It's so easy, as I, as I was preparing the sermon this week, I think that it's so easy for me to stand up there, and even though I certainly am not looking for the position of authority over all of you, I didn't want there to be any question on your part, right? I didn't want any of you to think, well, yeah, look at her up there. She's got it all together. She knows what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. Friends, I needed to share this message and receive this message just as much as you do. I need to receive this message sitting with you. Ideally, I'd be sitting beside you, but I had to draw the line somewhere. (laughs) A better understanding of what we just read, what Jesus is saying, is do not condemn or you're going to be condemned. What you give out, you're going to get in return. In the same way that you condemn others, you yourself will be condemned. And the same harshness you use, it's going to be used against you. After verse 2, we we see this shift from a statement to a command that urges us then. Listen, Jesus is urging us toward a compassionate, humble, fallible, gracious stance because that's what you and I want in return, right? That's what you and I want to receive from others. So then we move on to verse 3, and Jesus asks about the measure we are using. It's time to determine how you're measuring other people. Which measuring tool are you using? Because I'm here to tell you, whichever tool you use, it's going to be used against you. How you measure others, that's how you yourself will be measured. And Jesus, I don't know if you caught on to this, Jesus uses this glaring hyperbolic language that would be considered laughable to his audience. They would be like, what? What is he talking about? Oh, wait. Oh, right? Like it's so laughable. It's so hyperbolic. And yet he is deadly serious about what he's talking about. He's not making a joke. He's using this this extreme language to make a deadly serious point. And it's not unlike Jesus to use a play on words, but he takes it to a whole new level in this moment. You need to know that, that, that he is in this moment pointing out just how absurd and ridiculous the measuring tool is. He's pointing out like you're making it impossible for other people. And not only are you making it impossible for them, but you are failing to even acknowledge your own junk. And it's, and it's in a way that is so ridiculous and crazy that you need to see that. And the only way I can communicate that is by using this ridiculous language. And so all we can picture is, is a person who's got what would be like a light pole sticking out of their eye, 
walking up to another person, it's laughable. You can laugh. That's funny. It's hard to take this so seriously when it's so funny, but it is. And they're walking up to another person, and they're like, I think you have something in your eye. Let me help you figure out what you have in your eye there, because you got something going on. Think about sawdust for a moment. Jesus uses this language of light pole and sawdust. Think about how close and critical you would have to be to literally point out that someone has a piece of sawdust in their eye. You'd have to be right on top of them. You're definitely not abiding by COVID restrictions at that point. Like you are all up in their business trying to find a piece, a speck of sawdust. And then this, this metaphor really hit home for me this weekend. We found a new show on Netflix. Do you want me to tell you about it? We found this new show on Netflix. It was a really great show called Making Fun. It's a family-friendly show. There's a few, you know, there's some innuendo there. Some, it gives you a good laugh, but it's a family-friendly show. And the premise of the show is that there are these five big, burly, grown men who are working out of this amazing workshop. They have every tool at their disposal, and they get these video calls from kids all o- from all over, and these kids dream up these ridiculous inventions that they want these guys to build in their workshop. Just to tell you how ridiculous it is, the one we watched this weekend, this brother and this sister, they wanted a 12-foot T-Rex that had a conveyor belt inside, and he spits out tacos. (laughs) Real tacos. And candy tacos. (laughs) Real tacos and candy tacos. Yeah, they added that one in there. And, And so these guys, they take on a challenge. They turn away a lot of ideas, but then they find one that sounds just crazy enough to be cool, and they build it. And it's amazing. And so sure enough, you know, they show you and they're goofy as all get out. They keep you rolling the whole time. And so they're building in this workshop. And of course, they're showing you the process. And they made this 12-foot T-Rex out of straight up wood, all wood, inside and out. It was so impressive. And, And I'm watching them do this. And then there's this one point where the biggest, burliest guy of them all is laying in the floor making sawdust angels. He's, there's so much, the sawdust is piled up and he's making sawdust angels and it's just a hoot. It's really funny. And I was just thinking about all the sawdust that had to be flying around in that room and then it hit me. I thought, how impossible would it be? So imagine it was in here. Imagine that right before you, we're building a 12-foot T-Rex that's going to shoot out tacos because we can't forget that part. That's kind of the best part. And there's sawdust everywhere. Do you think any person is going to get out of here without a speck of sawdust in their eye? I don't know how good the goggles work, so each metaphor might break down, you know, at some point, and that may be it, but whether or not we have goggles, it doesn't matter. But the point is, is that in Jesus using this language, talking about a speck of sawdust, it also assumes that we somehow escaped from getting the sawdust in our own eye. Our neighbor got it, but somehow we escaped it when that's just ridiculous, right? We're all going to get a speck of sawdust in our eye. So, So what Jesus is saying is that it's ridiculous to look for something so small and, and tiny in someone else's eye, knowing that you probably have the same thing in your own eye, and it's even worse if what's in your eye is as big and glaring as a telephone pole. Are you getting it? 
we're all subject to our own humanity. We all fail. We all fall short. What Jesus is saying here, he's serious. And he's telling his kingdom people that you must always remove the log in your own eye before you can even think about approaching someone else and discerning whether or not they've got a speck in theirs. Always. So as we move on, we are assuming now that the log has been removed. And once the log is removed, once you've done the appropriate work to remove the log, now, now you can see yourself and others. And I mean, if you just removed a telephone pole out of your eye, you're going to feel really humble and a little ridiculous, right? Like, because everyone just saw you with a telephone pole out of your eye. Like, that's embarrassing, you're going to be really humble at that point, and you're going to approach somebody in a completely different way to point out that little speck through the lens of compassion, humility, and grace. So when we've understand, when we've properly understood what Jesus is saying, and as we unpack what this means for us, as I consider this passage, I see three important things that we need to understand about judgment in light of this particular passage. And the first thing is this, that Jesus is not talking about discernment here, right? And what I mean by that is we all have blind spots. Do you know that? You have blind spots. I have blind spots. We all have blind spots, and therefore we should all be inviting trusted people who love us, who are walking alongside us through this journey. They are mature disciples in Jesus Christ, and they have been invited into our lives. You should have this. This is what we call discipleship. Remember that word? We talk about it a lot. You should all have this. You should all have somebody who has been invited to point out your blind spots because you have them. You have them. And so, of course, Jesus isn't saying don't discern. Of course, Jesus isn't saying don't point out when your brother or sister might have a blind spot. Of course, Jesus wants us to do that. We have to have that. I need that. You need that. And so we have to know that the discernment is necessary. And I'm going to admit to you, I'll confess, it doesn't feel good. I'll never forget, I was having breakfast with a good friend who we just did life together and we discipled each other and we wrestled with scripture together. We wrestled with parenting and motherhood together and we were just a mess. We cried every time and it was just a mess, but we had pancakes and coffee and, and, and crescent rolls and stuff like that, so it made it all better. But I'll never forget one time we were sitting there and I was sharing with her a burden I was carrying for another person, a person who I was very close to. And I was just kind of telling her, you know, something that happened and what I was kind of perceiving about that person based on what I saw. And looking back, I think it came out really harshly and really, really critically. And my friend, filled with love and grace, said, Nicole, I think you have a blind spot. I think what you just communicated about this person that you love, I think it's communicating something about you. And how you're kind of putting that on this person unnecessarily. And that did not feel good. And I'm not even going to lie. I, I kind of wanted, I was tempted to say, oh, well, that's not what I meant. Oh, you misheard me. Uh, that's not my heart. I would never. But instead, I was like, you're right. 
You're absolutely right. And it stung and it hurt, but the reality is is it was a blind spot because I have them and you have them. And so therefore, we need people who have permission. These are people you've given permission to say to you, hey, here's something you're missing. Hey, this is not good. This is problematic. And I love you. We call these truth tellers, loving truth tellers. And loving truth tellers are not like harsh judges, we'll get to them in a second, who often have no interest in a loving, sustained relationship where they walk alongside you when it's easy and when it's really difficult. But we all need that, right? So we know Jesus is not doing away with that here. He's not, that's not what he's talking about. The second thing I think that I gained from this passage when I'm considering it for us today is, is that harsh judges exist. They exist within the church and they only seek to destroy and to divide. There are harsh judges who are, are bitter and prideful and who really just gain life from walking around and pointing out everyone else's flaws and pointing out every time someone is doing something wrong and how they're doing it wrong and what they could be doing better. And it just feels critical. And it's like they're putting this weight on you that you just can't even bear. Those exist and they exist among us. And we have to be able to recognize that this is not someone who has your best interest at heart. And we also need to be aware that this might be us, right? This might be us. We have to be careful that we are not the harsh judge that only seeks to condemn, destroy, and divide. John Wesley says it like this. He says, the judging that Jesus condemns here is thinking about another person in any way that is contrary to love. And love is not going to lead you to just walk up to somebody and point out their flaw before you've been given permission to do so, or before you've been walking lovingly beside them for some time. A harsh judge has a critical, condemning spirit. And harsh, critical judges are not actually doing the proper work that Jesus is talking about here. And quite frankly, they only make things worse and more difficult. And the worst part is the same measure they use, the same measure we use, because we might be them. We might be the harsh, critical judge. That measure is going to be used against us. And the third thing, if you've just kind of not picked up on any of that and have kind of rejected all of that, the third thing you need to know, it's pretty no-nonsense. I think what Jesus is saying in a roundabout way here is that none of us can or will usurp the role of God. Because only God has the right to judge and condemn. And none of us can usurp that role. And it's really easy. I I kind of alluded to this earlier. It's what brought me down here. I'll say it again, though. It's really easy to, to read scripture and you're taking in scripture. And what happens sometimes, be careful, because what happens when you're reading scripture, and this is good, we are soaking up scripture. You are, are making that your life. It's really easy to play the role of the narrator. And only God is the narrator. And yes, he uses other people. He's not literally the only narrator. But do you get what I'm saying? Only God has the role of of saying, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. and, And these are the ones that are condemned. These are the ones who will be judged. We cannot assume the role of narrator. 
We cannot, and God says we will not, usurp his role. Scott McKnight's the one who kind of laid it out like this, and I really appreciate it. And then he says this. He says, that perspective, what we're just talking about, that role of narrator, that perspective is God's perspective. It is not our perspective. It's God's perspective. It's God's perspective on us, on all of us, not our perspective on others. He said it enough times. You think we're, he's trying to make a point here? And so once we take our proper place, and this is our proper place, beside, among, not standing above or over, this is our proper place. And once we take our proper place under God, beside one another, alongside one another, then and only then can we join not work against, but join our brother and sister and growing in mutual sanctification and growth because we are growing together. This is the point today. Jesus calls us not to take the posture. Jesus calls us to take not the posture of God, but instead the posture of a citizen of God's kingdom where we stand beside rather than judge from above. And can I get really honest with you this morning and say that perhaps when this is most challenging, because up until now, I'd be willing to bet that, okay, yeah, all right, that sounds good, I can do that. Until, until you've determined that your brother's sin or your sister's sin is more despicable and more disappointing than any of your sin. That's when this is the most challenging because God doesn't see it that way. It's all the same to him. And you don't get to determine or judge whose sin is worse than yours, who should be punished harsher, who should be the victim of your critical judgment. And do you know... (laughs) I wasn't aware before this week of the story of Ted Haggard, and a lot of you just got really nervous. I'm not going to go into the details of this story. If you are interested, you can go look it up yourself if you don't know, and you'll understand why I'm going to refrain from going into the details of the story. But the story of Ted Haggard is certainly a disturbing story, for sure. And and I watched the HBO uh, Max documentary that was made years and years ago. This is not a new thing. But I just learned of it, and, and I learned of it when I came across this article in Christianity Today that really caught my attention. There's this one part in the article where the author, his name is Michael Cheshire, and he says this about the Ted Haggard story. He says, it's amazing how much more mercy I give to people who struggle with sins I understand. The further their sin is from my own personal struggles, the more judgmental and callous I become. I'm not proud of that. It's just where I was at that time in my walk. But that all changed in one short afternoon. You see, the tragedy of the Ted Haggard story is that once his scandal broke out, he was not just, not voluntarily removed, but forcibly removed from the church, from the church community, and from his home state. He literally could not come into his home state. 
He was banned. I'm not making light of his sin or his scandal, but it's because of the type of sin and scandal it was that it was just so heinous and despicable, as if it were worse than any other sin or scandal. And maybe I'm crazy, but that makes me angry. That makes me angry that that this fallen, broken man who had some stuff to work through, don't hear me wrong, don't mishear me, he had some issues, he needed help, as we all do. (laughs) And yes, his came out in a very ugly and public way, but he was so, he was so harshly criticized and judged because of the type of sin, and that breaks my heart. And I just have to ask, do we do this? Are we guilty of this? Do we take Jesus' words seriously until we just can't anymore? Oh, I just can't with this. This is where I draw the line. That is just not redeemable. See, much of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is about recognizing our humanity, and actually humanizing other people when we have this intense temptation to dehumanize them for one reason or another. And Jesus is serious about how wrong this is, how deadly this is. And so as we come to a close, I'm going to invite the praise team to come back to the platform and And we just prepare a time of response as we kind of process these things. But friends, as we kind of come to a close on this particular series on the Sermon on the Mount, and as we consider Lent each and every week and and what the season of Lent is about, I want you to hear this this morning, that the season of Lent was meant for removing planks. This is a season where it's more appropriate than any other time, and I'm kind of being, you know, exaggerating there, but it's more serious than any other time almost. The season of Lent was made for removing planks. That's what we're doing each and every week. Because the season of Lent is is a time that is intentional for for self-reflection, for inward reflection. Remember, I told you on Ash Wednesday, it wasn't going to be pleasant. I told you it wasn't going to be fun because when you look inside, you're like, ew, I don't like that. That is ugly, and I don't want to look at that. But it's necessary. The season of Lent, its purpose is to reveal to us the places that we have fallen short of what God has called us to. And so the hope is that we can remove the things that hinder us so that we can move into a deeper relationship with Christ and with one another. And the first step to removing a plank is acknowledging that there is one because there probably is. There's probably one in mine. I've thought about that a lot this week. We have to acknowledge that we often fail to recognize our own sins and faults, especially because we're just so busy pointing out everyone else's. My friends, removing the plank requires surrender. It requires surrender, and surrendering to the work of the Spirit may require surrendering to other things that you're just not comfortable with all the time. Things like listening, 
accountability, discipleship, learning from others, becoming comfortable with your own discomforts. Whatever it is that the Spirit wants to use to reveal to you that you need work. I need so much work. And when we become the people who have done the work to remove the plank from our own eyes, then we can become what Jesus wanted us to be. Compassionate people who come alongside one another. And we walk together on this journey And if that doesn't move you, then let me just say this. But if the measure that God is using over you, if that measurement tool is grace, which it is, then how much more is grace the tool that we ought to be using? Friends, may we remember the grace that Christ has extended to us. And may we seek and work to extend it to others in return. May grace ultimately be our measure that we use as we all seek to come to a place of healing and wholeness. Amen. You can stand if you would like, um, whatever is comfortable for you. As we enter a time of response and reflection, wanted to share as Nicole was talking I couldn't help but think about this story that my dad recently told me when he was a kid he was a rambunctious little guy and while he couldn't build t-rexes that shoot tacos out of their mouth he built a zip line in his backyard yes he did and his mom made him take it down and when he did it was a he used a metal cord there was a little shard of metal that got in his eye and he didn't even notice it at first but he just thought, my eye feels weird. There's something in my eye. And when his mom realized that there was metal in his eye, she freaked out, and, you know, as you do, and took him to the ER. And when he went to the ER, they took tweezers and tried to get this little tiny shard of metal out of his eye with these giant metal tweezers. And they couldn't get it out. And eventually he had to go to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor told him, they did way more damage to your eye with those tweezers than that little piece of metal was doing. And I was thinking about the irony of that, like when we come at somebody's eye and we're coming with harshness and we're coming aggressively, we're doing more damage than good. But also the thing that really just, I mean, he didn't even, he was just sharing that. My dad said, to this day, if I have my eyes closed and I look at the light or I look at the sun, you know when you look at the light and you can kind of see your eyelid? He said, I can see the scarring in my eye from when they like stabbed me in the eye with these tweezers you know and I thought what a beautiful analogy though that my dad goes through his whole life he doesn't like notice that there's these scars on his eye unless he's looking at the light which shines this clarity on his eyeball and he can see the scarring on his eye and I was thinking today as we enter this time of reflection and just thinking about God, what is in my eye? It's really hard to see if you have something in your eye. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you have something in your eye and you're like, I can't find it and I can't get it out, but I know it's in there because I can feel it. 
And so it's kind of ironic that we're singing the song, God, I Look to You. And I actually didn't plan that, nor did I plan Be Thou My Vision while we were preaching about having stuff in your eye. But I was thinking about that analogy and just thinking, you know, what better way to see what's in our eye than to look and gaze at the light? So we just want to take this time that this song is not directly going to make us think about our sin or think about how we're judging other people, but when we allow God's light to shine on us and when we look to Him, that's when we can see most clearly. So I just wanted to share that and and so that as we go into this time that we can just look at God and allow Him to just speak to our hearts. Maybe the thing that we're dealing with is that we're too hard on ourselves and that we're also hard on others because I'm hard on myself and others. I'm hard on everybody. So (laughs) maybe we do need to deal with some shame that we're experiencing because we're also hard on ourselves. And maybe we need to receive God's grace or maybe we do have some things that we are not even seeing. But if you can't see them, you can't see them. But God can. So I just wanted to share that and just to be intentional in this time. This is a new song we haven't done before. It's very super simple and it's very repetitive, but I think there's a reason for that, the simplicity and the repetitiveness, um, because these are things that we need to just repeat over and over and, and think about what we're saying. So I think it'll be easy to follow along.
Amen. You may be seated. As we prepare to receive communion together this morning, I just want to make sure everybody has your elements. If you don't, simply slip up your hands and we'll get those to you. Everybody got them? As we come to the table this morning, it's appropriate for us to remember that while the season of Lent is certainly a time of repentance, it's a time to reflect and grow, but the season of Lent is also a reminder to us of the faithfulness of God. It's a reminder that God does not leave us in our mess. Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave you in your mess? But instead, he stoops down to draw near to us in the midst of our mess. God is gracious to forgive us. And the Spirit is is present to help us grow and and to transform us into Christ-likeness. And Jesus calls us not to take the posture of God who who lords over in judgment, but instead to take a posture of a citizen of God's kingdom where we stand beside, but also gather together and sit next to each other at the table. And I'm telling you, it'd be the most ideal thing in the world to somehow magically transition to where we are all sitting around a giant table in this room. Just imagine us all around this room in a big circle Because that is the representation you need to have in your mind. That's the image you need to have in your mind that we come to this table together. When we shift the focus away from the speck that is in everyone else's eye to the log in our own, we are reminded of the immense grace of God and the immense grace of Jesus who in his goodness and in his mercy shared a seat at the table with those who were so totally unworthy to be at that table. And that's you and I, friends. And so if you're wondering whether or not you are invited to this table, whether or not you are invited to partake this morning, if you're aware of your need of grace, then you're invited. If you are aware of your need of grace in your life, you're welcome to join. All are welcome at this table. Friends, this bread and this cup, these are tangible reminders that you can touch and hold and feel of how God feels about you. That when God looks at you, he doesn't see a mucky, messy person, even though that's what we see, but he sees someone that was worth dying for and someone who is immensely and incredibly loved. And friends, these are also tangible reminders that we can touch and feel that remind us of hope, the hope that Jesus continues to make all things new right here, right now. So Jesus, we pause in this moment and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this bread and this cup. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would once again, in the mysterious ways that you always do, that you would be present in this place, that you would unite us together at this table 
that you would fill us with more of you so that we can go and be poured out for the sake of the other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it and he said to his disciples, take this and eat and when you do, remember me. This is my body that was broken for you. Take and eat and be thankful. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood that is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. May you take and drink and be thankful this morning. This is the blood of our Lord that was shed for you. Well, we started kind of a new tradition last month that after we receive communion together, that we want to invite you all to sing this doxology together this morning. Okay? Praise God from Well, bear with me. I've got some announcements to share with you this morning. I'm going to have somebody come up and share something with us at the end. So I need to hold your attention just a little while longer, okay? Because we've got a lot of good things to share with you. Um, But I'm going to share my announcements first, and then I've got a friend that's going to come up and share with you in just a minute. Um, But Easter, as we said at the beginning of service, is two weeks away. And so on Easter Sunday, we are hoping to share in what we're calling a continental breakfast together. And that's just a, a fancy, simplified way of saying a quick and easy breakfast that's Tasty and delicious, but convenient, okay? And so we want to invite you to come and and participate in that on Easter Sunday from 9 to 10, anytime during that time, and it's just going to be sit anywhere, stand anywhere, whatever makes you comfortable, and just fellowship together. Uh, No Sunday school that Sunday, but we're going to share instead in a meal from 9 to 10, Okay, and so if you are interested in preparing something for that breakfast, you can sign up out in the foyer. There's a sign-up sheet with a darling little plant next to it I saw earlier. I don't know if it's still there, but it was so cute. Um, and, and you can sign up there what you would like to bring. Uh, thank you for to Judy and Janet for leading that for us. And then also we will need some help cleaning that up. Uh, that 10 o'clock end time is so that we have plenty of time to clean up and transition and we're not running in here all frazzled for for worship on Easter Sunday. Um, Okay, so also along with those Easter announcements, as you're thinking about Easter, we will have a Good Friday service on uh, Friday, April 15th at 7 p.m., On Easter Sunday, we're going to be collecting for the World Evangelism Fund. That's the kind of the first uh, push of this year that we're going to collect for that, but also it's the end of our fiscal year. Um, So uh, we are, we have a goal of $2,000, I think. Wait, two, right? Three. I knew that was wrong. (laughs) $3,000 is our goal that we're trying to to meet uh, so that we can close out that goal for the World Evangelism Fund. We will have an Easter egg hunt on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, 
after the service, and so we are inviting you to bring candy uh, so that we can fill those eggs, plenty of eggs, so that all the kiddos can grab more than one and, and have plenty of candy, because that's what we all want. Uh, please don't bring chocolate, because it melts and gets everywhere, and we don't want you to waste your money on chocolate that may melt all over the place. So um, no chocolate, and if you'll bring individually wrapped candies, that would also be super helpful. Bring those by next Sunday. Okay, also next Sunday, I told you, stay with me, it's a lot, but we're going to get through it. Also next Sunday, we will need your help. We're going to move the chairs again, because it was so much fun last time that we want to do it again. Uh, We're going to be moving the chairs because our carpets are going to be getting cleaned that week. And so this is next Sunday after service. That went so quickly and smoothly last time, tearing it down anyways. (laughs) Putting it back was another story, but uh, that went so smoothly that it should be no problem. But we did just want to share that with you because we would appreciate your help on that. Okay, Um, moving along here tonight, we are kicking off a new and fresh preteen ministry and youth ministry. So the preteen ministry is for kiddos that are in fourth through sixth grade. And then the youth ministry, uh, the teen ministry is going to be for kids seventh to 12th grade. You're not really kids, you're, you're teenagers. But, but uh, Bo, Pastor Bo, is going to be leading the, the student ministry, the teen ministry, and I will be hanging with the preteens. And so that's going to be tonight at 5.30 p.m. And we'll hang out until 7 p.m., okay? And we're going to be meeting downstairs, but if you don't know how to get down there, we'll get you down there, okay? Um, For those of you who have been paying attention to emails and to the Facebook page, um, you would know that Jeremy and Jen Fuller welcomed a sweet baby boy not too long ago. And in lieu of of having a a shower, a physical baby shower for them where we gather and and bring gifts, we are inviting you to shower them with cards, um, with a gift card or something. Oh, there's that sweet picture of that precious baby boy. Um, So if you would like to bring a gift card for them in a card, uh, you can see Sam. Give those to Sandy Skelton, and then also we are wanting to do a meal train for them, and you can find those details uh, in a church email that was sent out this week, um, but also on our Ladies Church Facebook page, okay? Okay, we're almost there. Uh, During the month of April, we um, are going to be collecting pajamas for the Restore Network, and so this is just that effort um, each year where we try to shower, restore with lots of pajamas for their kiddos so that when a a family is placed with a kid that they can not have to stress about going to buy them things like pajamas. And so all sizes, bring those um, throughout the month of April. We will have a bin next week in the foyer where you can drop those pajamas. Okay, I think that's everything. So now I'm going to invite my friend Amanda to join me. So Amanda is with the Hearts at Home co-op homeschool group that meets in our building every Wednesday. So every Wednesday we have around, we need a microphone, yes. Can we borrow? Oh, which one do you want, Jim? Doesn't matter? Okay. Um, Tell us how many people we have in this building roughly on a Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. So it's awesome. It's amazing. Every Wednesday, we just hear the the feet running around up here as those kids are gathering in this place to learn. And so one thing that we have wanted to start uh, partnering with the the Hearts at Home Co-op is their yearly effort with the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. And I know what you're thinking, like, why are we talking about that? That's months away. Um, But this group does that ministry so incredibly well that they spend the whole year preparing for that. And Amanda's going to share why that is. 
Um, but that's what she's going to be sharing about because we really would love to get the whole church on board with this. And so we have invited her and she has graciously accepted to uh, come and share about that with us. So I'll give it to you. We, yeah, so we do Operation Christmas Child year-round, and the reason that we do that is because if we handed out boxes and asked you to pack a box right now, you could maybe pack one box, five boxes, something like that. Well, as a group, our goal has always been around 150 boxes. So then um, we collect year-round so that we can increase our funds, um, you know, purchase things as we find them on sale, that sort of thing. This year, we would like to increase our goal to 200 by partnering with you guys. Um, however, we do need a liaison from your church that would like to be the contact person to go between. Um, we have lists of things that we gather, and we would like to have a focus each month. You know, one month maybe water bottles, one month um, school supplies, one month hygiene items, that sort of thing. And then we could more easily reach that goal versus asking you to pack boxes in November right at the packing time, and we might get 50 or 100 boxes. Um, we do store everything uh, throughout the year, and our kids are actually making handmade crafts this year to go in the boxes. So um, the stories that I have to share are we did hear from a lady who received a box. She came and she talked to our group. And the things that stood out to us and to our kids were the fact that they shared one washcloth in a whole orphanage. So when we pack our boxes, we put two washcloths in each box. The child has one, and they have one that they can share with somebody else. Now, do we have to stop at two? No. If we have enough washcloths, we could do three or four or whatever, and they can continue to share. The same with toothbrushes. If we send one, one toothbrush in each box, then that child has a toothbrush. But if we send two then they have one to share with somebody who doesn't have one. Um, the only limit on it is no liquids, nothing with an expiration date, and it has to fit in the shoebox. The other project that we have is sewing. Anybody who sews, I have the patterns, and I can leave them um, with Karen. But we sew menstrual cloth menstrual products for our teen boxes. And we have always done, you know, 25 of them. This year we would like to increase that to 50. So what we need is somebody to sew the outside part. And like I said, there's the pattern. And I can help walk anybody through it. I've done them, unfortunately, by myself before. And I've done them with people. It is so much easier with people, especially because right now my husband is active duty and he is gone. I do not have the time to do it all by myself. So if people would like to help, I have, I do have some fabric at home um, that's been donated over the years that I have stored. Um, I will pass that on to anybody who wants to help. Um, as long as the outsides are made, we pair them with black washcloths, and then I don't need any, then, you know, people don't have to sew the inside parts. But these are important because girls have to drop out of school because they cannot attend school without menstrual products. And you shared with Karen and I. Oh, hold on. I don't know if I'm. Okay, there we go. Oh, yeah. Yes, about that. Yeah. 
Best um, part. The most important part to me. <laughs> um, so bar soap. Liquid soap is not allowed in the boxes. Bar soap is encouraged. Um, the, the brand of bar soap that is preferred is ivory. The reason behind ivory bar soap is because it floats. We don't think about it. We right. take a shower, we drop our soap, we pick it up, whatever. But if they have to shower or if they have to bathe in a river and they drop their soap, it's gone. The ivory floats and they can see it so they can get it back. Yeah. And then the, the last thing that I wanted to share is that Operation Christmas Child is amazing and it sounds really great, but what most people don't know is that these kids get one box in their lifetime and that's it. That's what they get, one box in their lifetime. And so like the, the pressure is on to give them a fantastic box that could have everything that they need or want. Um, and so thank you so much, Amanda, for coming and sharing with us. I'll take that. Um, and then, yes, so... What we need, um, again, just to remind you, is somebody who's willing to just liaise, uh, liaise with the homeschool group and, and say, okay, what are we collecting this month? And then that person will communicate that to our church. So we would uh, really appreciate it if somebody felt maybe like they would want to do that. You probably wouldn't even have to get up here in front of everyone and talk about it if you didn't want to. We could just have an ongoing emphasis every month, okay? And then if we have any sewers in the room, um, we need you. Now's your time to shine, sewers, okay? <laughs> so if you are willing, let us know. Reach out to Karen or I. And um, yeah, we really want to support the homeschool group as they put together their goal this year. So thank you again for coming and being with us, Amanda. Appreciate it. Okay, friends, at this time, I will invite you to stand. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May you go and love your brother and sister this week, coming alongside them and loving them on this journey. Go in his peace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.